You don't make up for your sins in the church. You do it in the streets. You do it at home. The rest is bullshit. I know it. When I was your age, they would say you'd become cops or criminals. Today, what I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a, uh, the third episode of um, the Film Society of Key Row. I am, I am Neil Wemus. I am a pastor in Northwest Iowa. And this is um, uh, going to be kind of an Irish-themed episode to some degree. Um, the reason is, is because as this podcast is beginning to be recorded... It is St. Patrick's Day. By the time that you probably listen to this, it probably won't be St. Patrick's Day anymore. But, oh well, it's the way life goes. Um, you just heard the beginning. It was a nice little video from uh, a Martin Scorsese tribute. And that's going to be, um, feel, that kind of influences uh, the movie of the week. but I, Which I'm going to get to a little bit later. Uh, before we get to that... Uh, as I did last week, I'm going to open up with some stuff, talking about the church year, talking about what's going on in the liturgical calendar, or something of that nature. Uh, today is, like I said, today, as this is being recorded, the day is St. Patrick's Day. And so with that, I'm going to have a little thing about St. Patrick. And before I go on to that segment, here is um, our St. Patrick's Day music. Right. 
So that is a recording of um, the of some musicians. I don't totally know who they are. I just found it on um, YouTube. It's for it's based off of the St. Patrick hymn "I Bind Unto Myself Today." Uh, I thought it was kind of a nice little rendition. And so I'm not going to say a lot about St. Patrick, about his history or his background. Um, well. I'll hold on. I'll look up a quick paragraph on this and give you just a small brief background on who he is. Here's what the commemorations biographies from uh, uh, the LCMS website says on Patrick. Uh, St. Patrick was a missionary to Ireland. So it says here, Patrick is one of the best known of the missionary saints born to a Christian family in Britain around the year 389. He was captured as a teenager by raiders, uh, taken to Ireland, and forced to serve as herdsmen. After six years, he escaped and found his way to a monastery community in France. Ordained a bishop in 432, he made his way back to Ireland, where he spent the rest of his long life spreading the gospel and organizing Christian communities. He strongly defended the doctrine of the Holy Trinity in, t in a time when it was not popular to do so. His literary legacy includes his autobiography, Confessio, and several prayers and hymns still used in the church today. Patrick died around the year 466. So, um, so there you go. Just a nice little brief history on who he was. If you'd like to really learn more about the history of St. Patrick... Um, I encourage you to go to Issues Etc. www.issuesetc.org. Uh, just uh, t yesterday they had a very nice podcast on who St. Patrick is. So if you'd like to learn out more, go listen to him there. Uh, but what I'm going to continue with is I would like to read uh, St. Patrick's Breastplate. And I believe this is probably the writing that he's most familiar, he's most famous for. Uh, the hymn I bind my bind unto myself today is based upon this. Uh, so here's a translation of it. There's various translations. Uh, this is the one I'm going to use. It writes, "I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the Creator of creation. I arise today." Through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom, I arise today through the strength of the love of cherubim, in the obedience of angels, in the service of archangels, in the hope of resurrection to meet with reward, in the prayers of patriarchs, in the predictions of prophets, in the preaching of apostles, in the faith of confessors, in the innocence of holy virgins, in the deeds of righteous men. I arise today, though the strength of heaven, the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of the rock, the firmness of rock. I arise today, through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, 
God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guide me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill, afar and near. I summon today all these powers between me and those evils, against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and soul, against incantations of false prophets, against black laws of pagandom, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul. Christ to shield me today, against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to me an abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the Creator of creation. This is, uh, that was uh, St. Peter's uh, breastplate prayer. It's, a, as you can hear, it's just an awesome, awesome writing. And it's one that, it's a good one to make it a tradition of, on St. Patrick's Day to just read it to yourself. And it's even worth reading on days that are not St. Patrick's Day. So um, with that, uh, we're going to continue on to our segment for this coming Sunday. And this coming Sunday is going to be, because uh, right now we are in the midst of the Passion Week, and Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week. And it begins with Palm Sunday. And so as we go into our Palm Sunday segment, we are going uh, to transition with our Palm Sunday music. That was a recording of uh, King's College in Cambridge and their recording of All Glory, Laud and Honor. Uh, they were going off on slightly different words and tunes that I'm familiar with, but anyway. Um, this Sunday, as I mentioned, is Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday that we focus on um, Jesus processing in and his tri the triumphal entry 
uh, on, on the beginning of that Holy Week, uh, he's you know riding in on a donkey, and the crowds are cheering him, uh, celebrating him, and they're you know laying palm branches at his feet, and the disciples are following him, and so that is what we're going to be focusing on. And so if you lit, go to a church that's got a very rich liturgical tradition, when the, you come to the church, you are not going to be coming to your pews. Instead, you are going to gather in the entryway to the church. Some may even gather outside. It's you know up to each uh, congregation and each pastor as to what is best. But you'll all they'll gather um, at least to the doors of the church. And when you gather at the doors of the church, the pastor is going to uh, he's going to say some prayers and he's going to read specifically. The Gospel of Palm Sunday, and there are a couple. Op there are two options for that reading. You either read Matthew 20, uh, 21, verses one through nine, or you read uh, John chapter twelve. And I can't think of the verses off the top of my head. And so, uh, Matthew twenty one one through nine. One of the the disadvantages of going with that one is that. Uh, it was the gospel lesson back at Advent, but it does create an interesting contrast, an interesting teaching point for the pastor. Um, and I'm not going to go and dig into that at the moment, but uh, there is some value to it. Uh, the advantage with going with John's gospel is John is the gospel that lets us know that it was palm branches specifically. The other gospels mention branches, but it's John that mentions that they were palm branches and so the pastor will read that text and as soon as that's done all of a sudden the organ will start going revving up and you'll have this nice intro and you'll follow in the processional cross as you sing all glory laud and honor or in the case of my church we're going to do hosanna loud hosanna uh mainly because i wanted to put all glory laud and honor into the as a communion hymn. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what I wanted. I decided to do this year. Uh, we have a smaller congregation, so we didn't need as long of a hymn, and I needed an extra hymn for communion, to put it simply. I wish I could be say it was more complex than that, but that's the reason I'm doing it. Um, but the whole congregation processes in, and it's, I mean, there's to some degree you are reenacting um, what happened on Palm Sunday. But the bigger thing that's going on here is that uh, it's the reality that you, in your life, are following the cross of Jesus. This is why we sing in the liturgy, you know, the uh, in the, the Sanctus, the second half of the Sanctus is Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he. You know, it goes like that. That's Divine Service 3 in um, Lutheran Service Book or the old TLH hymnal um, in um, the Lutheran tradition. Anyway, so we sing that not because we're reenacting. We're singing it because we are the children of God. And we are lifting up words of praise to him and we're following the cross of Jesus wherever we go. And specifically on Palm Sunday, we're focusing on what we're doing every Sunday. 
but more intently we are being reminded that we are every Sunday following the cross into worship. And we follow the cross out of the divine service into our daily life, into our service. You know, going back to that St. Patrick's poem, um, you know, it says here, going back, he says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. That is, we're following the cross, kind of, it's a, it's a reminder, it's a putting into visual practice what we are to be every day of our life, that the cross of Jesus, Jesus himself, the Christ, is always before us. He's always in everything that we do. So um, that's so that's how the service will go. And so you'll go, everybody will follow the cross, and then you'll get to your uh, pew, and you won't sit down. You're supposed to remain standing. Uh, some people want to go sit right down. No, you got to stay up, stay standing. And then, as once the music stops, you're going to hear a moment of complete silence. And this is not easy. Silence is not an easy thing in our culture because we don't like silence. For us, silence is silence is loud to us. It screams at us. We don't like silence. We always have noise. We always have a TV on. We always have a radio on. Uh, we don't like moments of sheer silence. But that's what we do. We have a, a moment of silence when we get to our pews to remi remind us that though Jesus came in with a triumphant entry to declare himself as the king of the Jews, he was not only declaring himself as a king, he was also declaring himself as a sacrifice, as the sacrificial lamb. For at the end of the week, he would go down that very same road to take his throne, which was a cross, and be the lamb of God, the lamb of sacrifice for all the world. And so that's why you have a moment of silence echoing that. And then the service goes on as normal. And, and so that is just, you know, uh, Palm Sunday is the beginning of, like I said, Holy Week. It, you know, it's, it's triggering Holy Week. And Holy Week is one of the uh, most beautiful weeks of the year in terms of liturgy. Because then you'll have come on Monday Thursday, go to the Monday Thursday service wherever you're at. And hopefully you go to one that's got some good liturgy. You go there. And they're going to, you know, the service is going to start with an opening confessional address, which is just beautiful. The liturgy is extremely trimmed down. It's very, very basic. It's very much to um, the core of what the liturgy was um, in the early church. Uh, and significant moment is when you're going to see the altar stripped. Uh, reminding of this actually calls back to Palm Sunday a little bit because in the Palm Sunday um, epistle lesson we will read from the Philippians 2 where it talks about Jesus emptying himself 
when that altar is stripped, we are reminded of two things. One, that Jesus was stripped. And two, that he was, um, that he emptied himself. That he became nothing for our sake. And so, and it's also a reminder that when we die, we are stripped. We have nothing. And the only thing we have in our moments of death is the only thing we need, and that is Jesus. So it's a nice, it's a sobering reminder of what we are getting ready for for the next day when we celebrate Good Friday, and what is the destiny of all of us. So, um, you know, that's just, you know, the little bit of talk. Uh, so there's a little food for thought as we enter into the Palm Sunday weekend. Uh, I pray that, you know, if, you go that you could go find a place that gives a good Palm Sunday service. I pray that you go attend it. Uh, with that in mind, we are going to segue again to um, the final segment of the day, and we're going to be focusing on the movie of the day. And the movie of this week, as I mentioned last week, I was going to view The Departed, which worked just wonderful because The Departed is very much. A movie that focuses on some Irish themes. It's dealing with an Irish mob. And so as we transition into uh, a review and analysis of the movie The Departed, we will transition using the trailer of the film, which I will be playing for you now. your age they would say we could become cops or criminals what i'm saying is this when you're facing a loaded gun what's the difference this is not the regular police this is the state police we are an elite unit this is who we're after frank costello you won't be paid as a regular cop but there's a bonus involved so what do I do? You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Do you have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Do you know who I am? Maybe not. When I have my associates search you. That was quick. Things dead already? Get your hands on me. I think we could work something out. We are all convinced that Costello has at least one mole inside the Special Investigations Unit. Parts of my job I can't talk to you about. Man, you are trouble. You don't know the half of it. You better get organized, quick. Hey, last time I checked, I tipped you off, and you're not in jail. Getting the feeling we got a cop in my crew. Sooner or later, he's gonna find out who I am, and he's gonna kill me. I can get the rap. You just gotta let me do it my way. If you don't, it won't be me who pays for it. Leaks from the inside. It's real, man. Smoke him out. You're lying to me. There are things you don't want to know about. What are you waiting for? Honestly, I mean, do you want him to chop me up and feed me to the poor? Is that what you guys want? Yeah. 
How's your mother? She's on her way out. You all are. Act accordingly. So that is the trailer for the movie The Departed. The Departed was a movie that came out back in uh, 2006. Um, it was a very, it's one of the, it was a very well received movie. Uh, just to give you evidence, inter, Internet Movie Database ranks at number 43 of its all time greatest movies um, or favorite movies amongst IMDb people. Uh, Academy Awards and won Best Picture, uh, Best Achievement in Directing, uh, Best Writing for an Adaptive Screenplay. Uh, best Achievement in Film Editing. And then Mark Wahlberg was nominated for Best Performance by uh, an actor in a supporting role. So it, you know, it did really well. Golden Globes won Best Director. It was nominated for Best Picture. Best Performance by an Actor. Best <clears throat> Performance and two Best Supporting Actors. And also, again, Best Screenplay. So... It's a movie that had really good accolades. Um, the movie has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, average review is 8.2 out of 10. The critic consensus for the movie was featuring outstanding work from an excellent cast. The Departed is a thoroughly engrossing gangster drama with a gritty authentic authenticity and super morality we come to expect from Martin Scorsese. So, like I said, just a, you know, it's a very well-received movie. And so, um, and I agree, the movie is just, it is really one of the really, really great movies out there. It definitely deserved its best picture. Uh, I'm going to give this straight-up warning right here, right now. I should have probably said it a little bit earlier. But this movie is not going to be for everyone because it's definitely got... A lot of cursing. It's got some very violent moments and scenes. Um, it's got some uh, some sexual scenes. It's definitely not a movie for the everyone. And so I'm giving you that straight up. The rating it straight up says it's a rated R for strong, brutal violence, pervasive language, some strong sexual content, and drug material. Um, and so I'm telling you that right up front. But the movie, now with that aside, it is a very, very good movie. Uh, great acting performances across the board. Uh, DiCaprio, uh, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen. Um, all of them had great, great performances in this. Alec Baldwin had a pretty solid performance in the film. And... It's, it's kind of interesting. I watched the movie not knowing the plot completely when I first when I saw it the first time. And so it made it even a little bit more engaging because I didn't know what was going to happen between the two lead characters. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's Billy Costigan and Matt Damon's uh, Colin Sullivan. Uh, I didn't really know what, the, what was going to go on with the two, but the way it developed out just was a great, great... Um, you know, it's a great story, and uh, Jack Nicholson has just the, has the perfect voice for uh, creating the environment of the film. 
the thing that I mean, that some of the things that stand out to me is just you know when you know the movie starts out, you know these two characters you're seeing they're growing up in the police force, and both of them are outstanding at what they do, but they go two very different routes. One is a um, a great friend to the police to the cr- the crime boss who is uh, Frank Costello. Jack Nicholson's character, and the uh, the rest of them are, and then you have the other who is an honest goodness cop, and so it's the honest to goodness cop that goes undercover to find the rat to find out to take down Nicholson, to take down Costello and find his rat Sullivan, who happens to be Sullivan. Meanwhile, Sullivan is working for Costello. And he's trying to find the the police's rat inside of Costello's uh, um, organization, which happens to be Billy DiCaprio's character. I know that sounded pretty complex, but the way it plays out, like I said, is so, so intriguing. And you can see when moments get harder and harder and... The thing is, is that both of them have fear, and the fear gets more and more intense with each day. And the thing is, is Damon's character—the reason they're afraid—is different. Now, while it's true that Costello had threatened, um, and Costello had threatened Sullivan, while that is true. It's his real fear wasn't that his fear was losing this big impressive apartment, this all this money that he receives, whereas the fear of um, of Billy was to be found and you know end up in the river somewhere, and you watch the as the movie progresses, you watch that intensity that. That just building up, and you especially see it in uh, the interactions with the shrink that uh, DiCaprio has to vi- uh, visit. Her name is Madeline, uh, played by Vera Farmiga, who she had a really strong performance as well. Uh, but like I said, you know, watching him, you know, having to uh, visit, you know, talk with her and visit with her. To deal with this, the mounting stress and the mounting need for uh, medication to help him fight, deal with what's going on. Because I, I mean, that's what would have to happen. Because they're getting closer and closer, and there's several moments where it seems like they're going to kill him, and the and him having to take part in this guy being killed and you know, being shot in the head and all these different things that he takes part in, he just gets so uneasy. And DiCaprio just sells the role so well. And Matt Damon does the same as well. Uh, Matt Damon, I don't think, was a great um, dialogue actor, but he definitely had the, um, the emotional chops. And again, he showed some of that anxiety, not... As well as DiCaprio, but he definitely had it going. And then you have, you know, the movie also has a really good soundtrack. And it definitely makes use of a few nice visual moments. Um, 
I will admit that the the what one, one weak point I would say in the movie is uh, the scene where uh, Nicholson goes down, uh, where Costello goes down. And by the way, as you've I've mentioned before, my movies generally have spoilers. Uh, my movie reviews, and the reason I do this is because it makes it really hard to analyze a movie well without spoiling it. All right, so I'm just letting you know on that. Uh, but. Uh, Costello's death was very, I, I felt anticlimactic, to be honest. And that was kind of a letdown scene for me. But for the most, but even that wasn't horrible. The majority of the movie was just, you know, very, very well done. Uh, excellent soundtrack, uh, making use of a combination of instrumental music and, and vocal music. A very nice combo. And that really, you know, strengthens the movie, strengthens many of its scenes. Um, like I said, just it's, it's a very, very well done movie, and it definitely earned its Best Picture award. Definitely deserved it. So, what are the themes that we look into this movie? And you know, that's the major thing I look at. And there's a few. Th there's really one underlying theme that really plays itself out in a variety of ways. And the simple theme is this. Deceit. That is the theme. Deceit. Lying. Every character in that movie is in some way or another lying or hiding something. And that is a major theme through it. And and some people, you know, it's it hurt. It affects some more than others. And can, I mean, it gets you know, uh, Martin Sheen's character, you know, Captain Queenan or Sergeant Queenan, uh, gets him killed. So I mean, it's these lies really catch up to them and make them their lives even worse makes it just miserable for everyone. The only person that doesn't seem to be carrying a lie, lies seems to be Alec Baldwin. And and then, and then there's also the there's also another cop played by Anthony Anderson. Uh, he seems to be a pretty honest cop. But beyond that, everyone is hiding something. Everyone is not telling something. It's just filled with lies and secrets all throughout the movie. And it's kind of teaching you that everyone has a secret. And you see this little... And, I mean, this is, is reinforced in the scene at the end where you see this little... Uh, you see a rat rocking, running across the railing right in front of the shot of uh, the courthouse in Boston and you know it's just it's a reminder to you that there's always a rat in the government system but you watch through the movies have so so many people hiding something um, I mean just think okay just to go through it DiCaprio's character he's lying about you know he's lying to Costello Damon's character is lying to the police Nicholson's lying to all of them. 
Uh, Wahlberg is is hi- is having to hide for to protect DiCaprio. Martin Sheen is lying again to protect DiCaprio. Um, Mr. French, because he's a mobster, he's lying. Vera, uh, p- who plays Madeline, she's lying because she has kind of an affair with uh, you know Billy Costigan in there. Um, and we pretty much, you know, they show this little scene with a couple priests that uh, Costello runs into in a, in a diner. And you find that they're lying about something, both of them. Everyone is lying. And so if you're going to pull, you know, if you're going to talk, you know, theologically, what's something you could pull into this theologically? And that would be, well, this is, you know, simple catechesis. Simple Christian instruction is you go to the Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness. And it even and actually the very fact that you're dealing with a movie that's about a police officer going undercover to take down this really horrible, evil man in Costello, it's, you know, uh, the question, Eighth Commandment issues come up. So... Here, let's look at the Eighth Commandment according to the small catechism. Let me pull it up in a second. The Eighth Commandment says this. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. So that covers some of it. If you go into the large catechism, it goes into more depth. But the simple fact is that all of us lie. All of us commit deceit. This is why, you know, I just, you know, a couple weeks ago, and you can look up my sermon on it, it's titled, What is Truth? Is, you know, I read it from, you know, Pilate's quote. Uh, when he was speaking to Jesus during Jesus' trial. You know, during you know Good Friday, the first, the night he was crucified, the day he was crucified, Jesus says, you know, that I come to bear witness to the truth. To which Pilate says, "What is truth?" And again, it's a very suitable question because everyone is lying in some form or another. As I, you know, I mentioned in that sermon, go on Facebook. How many people? have photos of, you know, when they got drunk and passed out? How many people have photos of themselves, um, you know, when they wake up first thing in the morning and their hair is all matted and their makeup is smeared or whatever, if it's a woman or if a man happens to have makeup? Who takes, who takes, when do we take photos of ourselves? We take photos when everything's beautiful. Um, I take, I like to sometimes take photos of scenery. I usually take photos when, um, you know, the sky has got, there's a nice sunset or something like that. But I never take, when it's an ugly, yucky, gray, I never take pictures. We are, we are selective. We don't want to take picture of the truth of the world. We want to, we're very selective. We want to pretend that the world is one way when it's, it's not another. We lie in so many different ways in our lives we see it in our politicians over and over and we we're even lying to ourselves and trying to convince ourselves that one politician's honest and then the other isn't they're all lying and we know we are honest with ourselves we know it 
And we should figure this out by now. By now. Politicians lie. <clears throat> they're, they're so, our children, children lie to, to their parents. Parents sometimes even lie to their children. We live in a world of deceit. Now, is it, was it sinful for Billy to, you know, DiCaprio's character to go undercover and for his, you know, sergeants to do what they did? And I'd say that's kind of one of those gray areas. And there's... There are moments that we have that can happen where we might have to sin. Now, these are really rare moments, unique situations. You know, for example, the... Um, Nazi Germany, if somebody came to your house and they asked if you knew where there were some Jews hiding and you knew the answer to that was you know where they were, do you tell them or do you, do you lie? And the answer is you lie. Well, the question is, well, did you sin? Well, possibly. There's a good, somebody could make a case that you did and I'd say in that case, sin boldly. Commit that sin when absolutely necessary. And when you have sinned it, go on your knees before the throne of grace and beg God for forgiveness. And guess what? He does forgive you. I mean, that's what we're celebrating this Lenten season. This is a season of repentance. And this movie actually calls us to the Eighth Commandment, calls us to repent of our sin of lying, if you really look into it. Gets us thinking on that, hopefully. And reflect our own, what is the deceit that we have? Every character in that film was lying. What is our lies? What do we need to confess before God? That's what Lent is, about us confessing our sin. And this could give us the thought of the sin of lying that we commit in so many different ways. And we even try to lie to ourselves about the fact that we lie. I know that I'm not proud of many of the big lies that I've had in my life. You know, I think back to when I was in college. Um, when I got out of high school, I should say, specifically, the first couple of years out, I was going to Des Moines Area Community College. And twice, uh, I dropped out and never told my, didn't tell my dad that I had dropped out. And... And I kept on, and whenever my dad would ask me how my grades were and how school was doing, I would lie. Till eventually I was caught, and it was not a proud moment. And, you know, we all, I was not proud of it. And, you know, it's how, that's one of, that was my, one of my great moments of deceit, of lying. And, I should say, not so great moments. And it's because of these moments, you know, these are the evidence of all of our sinful nature. It's a reminder that we are sinners. Understand, the fact that we lie does not make us a sinner. No, the fact that we lie reminds us that we are sinners, that we have inherited 
the very same sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world when they partook of that fruit. That sin has descended all the way down from us and we are sinners and we are not helpless victims. We are partakers, willing, active partakers of this sinful nature. And it's for that reason we need to constantly go before the throne of grace, confess our sins. This is why we need to receive the Lord's Supper on a regular basis to receive the forgiveness of sins. The movie The Departed Notice how many of these the major characters died. With the exception of, I mean, of the major, major characters in the film, I mean, Alec Baldwin, again, seems to be the one that doesn't lie, but you see a lot of, you see several funerals in the movie. All the major, most of the major characters die. And even Mark Wahlberg's character, though he didn't really physically die, he kind of disappeared like he died. And... Again, you're, when you're departed, when there's a gun to your head, as it begins, what does it matter whether you're a cop or a criminal? There's some truth to that. The truth is, now it does matter in this world, yes, we should do what is right. We should not go on sinning that grace may abound. I'm not saying that. I'm not advocating for cheap grace or antinomianism. It's just the simple reality. That whether you are the most noble of police officers or the worst of gangsters, in your moments of death, when it comes to you before God, you are both just as righteous as, as one as the other. Mother Teresa was no more righteous than Al Capone. And when they faced their creator, the one and only thing that mattered was the blood of Jesus. Did they believe in Christ? By all accounts, Mother Teresa did. I don't know about Al Capone. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. If he did, guess what? The radical thought is that Al Capone and Mother Teresa ended up in the same place. You know, that's, you know, the season of Lent, that is the radical nature of the gospel. So look at this movie. You know, if you were looking at this for, from an evangelical standpoint, what would you do with it? I understand what I'm saying here. This, I don't think, the idea that everyone lies, I think that might have been an intent of the film at the very minimum they're trying to say that um, our judicial system um, law enforcement things like that are filled with lies but I definitely do not think the movie was going to a spiritual to the theological level that I'm bringing it I you know I do this but I don't think there's but I definitely think that there is ways that we can see Christology see Christian we could pull Christian themes out of this. And it can lead us places. So, so those are the thoughts of the movie Depart The Departed. Uh, like I said, as long as you can handle some of the the themes in there, the fact the things that earn it, it's our rating. It is an excellent movie. 
I recommend watching it if you haven't. And if you have watched it, go back, watch it again, and look at the themes that I talked about. Maybe you'll pick up on something that I didn't. Uh, either way, I hope this is a good uh, conversation for you. And with that, as this is, you know, officially one minute left of St. Patrick's Day, um, I'm going to leave you with a video. I'm going to leave you with a couple things. Uh, but before I give a preview for next week, I have a nice little video in honor of St. Patrick's Day. And this is John Belushi's The Luck of the Irish from Saturday Night Live. Well, my apologies. I was going to play an audio recording of this, so and I couldn't find it, so instead I'm going to read the transcript. So this is John Belushi's quotes, and it probably won't sound as good as John Belushi did it because I just can't find the video. But here it goes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's come that time again. St. Patrick's Day has come and gone, and while the sons of Ireland are basking in the glow, when I think of Ireland, I think of a lot of colorful Irish expressions like Top of the morning to ya. Kiss the Barney Stone. May the road rise to meet ya. May you be in heaven an hour before the devil knows you're dead. I'd like to smash you in the face with my shillelagh. Danny boy, Bagora, wail the banshee, and whiskey for the leprechauns, list whiskey for, for the leprechauns. But, I th but the expression I think most people identify with the Irish is, of course, the luck of the Irish. The luck of the Irish. Sure. Let's say you're in a pub somewhere in Ireland. Oh, anywhere in Ireland. Some guy comes up to you and says, hey. Is that a bomb on you I hear ticking? And then BAM! Your small intestines are on the ceiling and your brains are on your car across the street. That's the luck of the Irish for you. Who's kidding who, okay? Let's talk about the bad luck of the Irish. All right. How about this? Potato famine. How about that? It scares them, doesn't it? Well, it should. That's why they came here in the first place. So they wouldn't have to work in the potato fields. That's why they became politicians, priests, and cops. Luck? Give me a break. I got a friend. His name is Dan Sullivan. He's Irish as they come. We used to drink together a lot. After, after two drinks, he would look like an Irish pirate. You know? You think he had luck? And one day, he got his car stolen. And the stupid, he had no insurance and no license, and he gets locked up for being drunk. And after that, he takes off for someplace like India or Nepal or someplace like that. And his mother dies. You know, so they wire him to tell him to come to the funeral. It's his mother's funeral. That's all. And he's in India and Nepal sitting squat-legged listening to some sacred cow. So he comes back and he gets stopped at U.S. Customs for trafficking illegal drugs. Not holding, he's trafficking. I mean, here's this guy Sullivan. His old lady kicks off, he gets popped at the border, and he's sitting on 50 pounds of black Tibetan finger hash and two keys of slam. Now that's not bad luck. That's dumb luck. 
I don't think Lot has anything to do with it. I don't think he has any brains at all. First of all, he's drunk. Then he's a junkie. I don't know what's worse. Don't ask me, ask Sullivan. And what happens? He calls me up and says, Hey man, I got busted at the border. I need five grand bail. I said, I said, I said, five grand, man? Hey man, I'm, I've never even seen $5,000 in my life. So don't ask for me, me for it, man. Why don't you ask your mother? Which was a dumb thing to say to me. Say because his mother just died. Right now, I got this drunken Irish junkie who wants to kill me because of what I said about his mother being a terminal dreamland. Oh, pal, one thing, one thing. They love their mothers. Boy, oh, they love their mothers. It's mama this, mama that. Oh, my Irish mother. Ireland must be heaven because my mother, ah! All right, there you go. That was my best impersonation of that, best reading of that. I wasn't really trying to impersonate, trying to give as much drama as I could, but that was the little words. I wish I could have played John Belushi's, which sounded a lot better, and it was it's one of the hilarious all-time skits. If you could track it down, go check it out. Uh, so that is all I have for this week. Um... Next week, uh, the things I got on the docket for next week, I'm going to do um, a movie analysis of The Passion of the Christ. Um, I'm going to do a top 10 ranking of the all-time greatest Christian movies. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the traditions of Good Friday, Easter Vigil, Easter Sunday, those things. And then I'm also going to give a brief review of the movie Miracles from Heaven, uh, which is coming out, uh, actually, I think came out tonight. So uh, that's just a nice little um, preview of what is to come. Uh, I pray that this was a good, you know, good podcast for you, that you got something out of it, uh, got entertained a little bit at the end there, whatever it might be. And so I leave you with all that. Uh, again, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am a pastor in Northwest Iowa. If you'd like to find out about the churches that I serve, you can find out about them at www.iowaoc. Lutherends.org, and if you do not live in the area and if you're looking for a good confessional Lutheran church, I, I suggest you go to either www.issuesetc.org or www.lutheranliturgy.org and go click on their Find a Church tabs. You should be able to find a good church in that area. Uh, if you can't, and if you don't find anything there, then go to www.lcms.org. Go to their church directory and hopefully you can find a good church in your area. Um, and there's a lot of good churches out there. And I encourage if you're not a member of one of them to go um, join one. So with that, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.